So this morning, we're going to turn our attention to the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6. Uh, I'm calling the, the message this morning, Battle Ready, uh, but there's so many uh, themes that I uncovered this week that I could have called it um, intentional living, intentionality. Uh, but we'll see that as we kind of unfold the, the passage together. And we're going to examine verses 10 through 20 this morning. Uh, we're going to read the passage together, then we'll divide the passage and make observations and applications as we go. I do want to say this this morning, is that um, for the first third of this message, you're going to think, well, didn't you just tell us that last week? But yes, there's a point. I, I'm, I'm taking these two things, and so it's going to tie very closely to the message we heard from Matthew 24 uh, last week. So let us... Uh, Stand for the reading of God's infallible and errant word of God from Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, then in proclaiming it, I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. You may be seated. As we opened last week, we opened by the question or the statement, it's a statement and a question at the same time, that uh, Jesus spoke to his disciples in Luke chapter 18. He said, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the question. This is the question that uh, the Christian will need to answer. When Christ returns, will he find me faithful? Will I be able to stand when the Lord returns to judge the world and gather his people to himself? Are you alert to the immediacy of the day of Christ's return? Are you ready? If the Lord returns in the middle of this sentence, are you ready? Will you be able to stand? And who will be able to stand? These are the questions. Who is able to stand on the great day of the wrath of the Lamb? 
Well, we established last week that to be a disciple of Christ is to be ready, to be ready at any moment to declare that we are His and that whatsoever hour He comes, He may find us surprised at the coming, but He will find us yet faithful. To watch for the Lord's return means that we are to be longing for it, to have a right relationship with the temporal, longing for our eternal redemption. Further, we establish that the faithful and sensible servant of King Jesus, King Jesus who is the master who rules and reigns from the throne of God, will be those who are found doing the master's bidding as we await for him to return. We will be doing his bidding. That is, we will be caring for the household of God. We will be feeding the members of the house with spiritual nourishment that comes from the word of God. Last week I said that the faithful and sensible servant of King Jesus will be found intentionally assembling together regularly. Intentionally protecting the doctrinal integrity of the gospel. Intentionally receiving into fellowship the repentant and the regenerate. Intentional in loving one another. Intentional in humbly submitting to the master's appointed overseers. Love for God is manifested in the faithful and sensible servant's intentional commitment to the Great Commission. Intentional obedience to be a disciple who makes disciples. Theme number two that I want to talk about this morning is this. Christian, we are at war. We are at war. We are at war. Be so, be of sober spirit, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. The faithful and sensible servant of the Master will be bombarded at every angle to prevent us from one thing, remaining faithful to the Lamb, faithful to the King, faithful to the Master. Do you know all the trouble that comes in our way, that comes at us, is a spiritual battle. There are spiritual forces that want to get between you and your faith in the coming king. They want to derail you. But it's not flesh and blood that we are at war at, we will see. The faithful and sensible servant is aware of their own inability to remain faithful and sensible. Secondly, the faithful and sensible servant knows where their help comes from. Thirdly, the, the faithful and sensible servant knows the nature of the enemy. Fourthly, the faithful and sensible servant knows the weapons that are needed to withstand the enemy. Finally, the faithful and sensible servant knows that faithfulness does not happen without intentionality. You will not remain faithful to the Lord unless you are intentionally doing it. Unless you are intentional about it. The faithful and sensible servant will not be found doing the master's bid bidding without first purposing to do so. You're not just going to by accident be found doing the right things for the Lord. 
The faithful and sensible servant intends to do so. Does so intentionally. On purpose. It is their aim. You don't accidentally gather on the Lord's Day, do you? You don't just accidentally show up here. You're driving down the road and all of a sudden your car stops here. You intend to be gathered with the Lord's people on the Lord's Day. You will not by chance spend time reading God's Word. You don't just get up and you'll see that the Bible's flopped open to a page and you just walk up and read it. You will intend to do so. Has any of you here just accidentally prayed? And many of you probably know this. How many things get in the way of your intention to pray? Many, many good things, right? Get in the way of your intention to pray. Prayer happens on purpose. The reading of God's Word happens on purpose. The gathering of God's people happens on purpose with intentionality. You will not just make disciples accidentally either. You won't, exact, you won't accidentally do a spiritual good in another person's life. You must intentionally do so. The Christian servant of the Master lives with intentional obedience. Intentional obedience is what is faithful and sensible. As we saw last week, Jesus, when He comes, is going to say, the Master is going to come and say, blessed is that Christian whom his Master finds living intentionally when He comes. That's my paraphrase of that verse. Blessed is a Christian whose Master finds them living intentionally when He comes. During the pandemic of 2020, a lot was revealed to me as a pastor and as a Christian man. I learned some things. The primary lesson that I learned is that the American church mistakenly lived as though they were at a time of peace. Mistakenly lived as though all was in their hand to prosper. And I say this mistakenly um, because there's a war that is being waged against the people of God. There's a war being waged against their king. But instead of gauging, engaging in the battle, the church had become an entertainment center, a social club, or a group therapy session. If the church is insignificant in our neighborhoods or in our nation, I posit that it is because the church has lived far too long as though she was at peace. The war has been waging and raging on, and every day the church loses ground when she doesn't realize that she is at war. Her faithfulness and her sensibility get eroded away. Eroded away. Seemingly one insignificant morsel at a time. When we live complacently, when we live as though there is no spiritual battle going on, our faith and our sensibility get eroded away just a little bit at a time. And it renders us ineffective to the Master's call. The King is returning soon, and He's returning suddenly. 
The soon return of the king is point of rejoicing for us, isn't it? It is a point of rejoicing that, that we might not get out of here today without the king returning. I pray that God comes, that, that the king comes and he steps foot right here right now. That he steps in the middle of this room and he says, these are my faithful servants. I find them doing my bidding. I'm gathering them up and I'm taking them with me. I hope that it happens soon. We look at all the world around us and I mean, it's, it's with great joy that I anticipate his return. I hope it happens now. I hope it happens soon. But he tells me, since I just said that, I don't know the hour. I don't know the moment. So it will come as a surprise. It will come on us suddenly. The king's returning soon. And disciples of Jesus Christ have been enlisted into the Lord's army. You might say this, but I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for battle. I didn't sign up for war. You didn't indeed. You did not sign up for war. Your service was conscripted. When the God of the universe of heaven had mercy upon your soul and sent His Son to redeem you through His death and resurrection, to you it has been granted repentance and faith. To you it has been granted to suffer. To you it has been granted service. You then were enlisted into the Lord's army. And the war is raging. And I pose this question to us this morning. Are we battle ready? Are we ready? Verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. This is finally, he says, right? So this is the conclusion of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And in this letter, he spent the first three chapters reminding the church of who they are. Reminding them of who they are and whose they are. I want to flip to uh, chapter 1 and just look at, well, it's the long-running sentence uh, of chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us and the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and the things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having so believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our own inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Finally, be strong in the power of His might. 
This is how he concludes that. After having told us this about who we are. Before Paul gives the church the imperatives, that is, the instructions for doing, he tells the church who they are. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. This is what you have obtained. Before we get to instructions on doing, we must know who we've become. The indicatives, whenever we read in the letters of Scripture, when we read the epistles, you can see this pattern is consistent. What has been indicated precedes what is instructed. This is who you are. Doing flows from being. Right? I don't want us to get confused at all when I talk about being battle ready. I don't want us to get confused at all that, that we have some sort of moral superiority and some sort of way in which we are legalistically doing these things because we're trying to win favor. No. Because you have one favor with God, because you are something in Him, you are now able to do these things by His grace. You are able to do that which He has called you to do. So before we get to the instruction this morning, I want to remind you of what is indicated. That is, who you are and who are you, you have become and are becoming in Christ. You see, you are the eternally blessed of God in Christ Jesus. You are the chosen of God in Christ Jesus from eternity past. He has forgiven you and He calls you blameless and holy in Christ Jesus. He has imputed or deposited to you the blamelessness that is in Jesus alone. He has adopted to you as sons and daughters and He has incorporated you into His forever family. You have been redeemed. That is, by His own blood, Christ, the coming King and Master, has purchased you. Which means, of course, that your life is not your own. When you've been purchased, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to Him. He has given you insight into the mystery of His will, making known to you that God in Christ Jesus makes the sum total of all of His intentions in heaven on earth is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That is not something you uh, can learn and study on your own. That is something that is revealed to you from heaven. It is the spiritual blessing to know that all things, everything on the earth is summed up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Everything. The sum of everything is Him. This is, that is the gem. That is the gem that we hold on to in the world. In this world of chaos, we hold the gem. Because God has revealed to us the mystery of His will, and the mystery of His will is that all things are summed up in Jesus Christ who loved us and freed us from our sins by His death on a cross. This is the gem. You're sealed, you're preserved, you're protected in Christ Jesus for eternity. The Holy Spirit has been given you to you who believe. The Holy Spirit given to you will cause you to remain in Christ all the way to the end of days. When we look at verse 10 again, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The summation of the letter says, your strength to remain in the faith is in Christ, in His strength, and in His keeping, 
and by His power. There's a war that's raging against your faithfulness to Christ. The faithful and sensible servant lifts their eyes up to the hills and they say, where does my help come from? And the Lord answers, your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. As we saw in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. One of the tactics of the enemy is, is to distract the servants of the master such that they live as though they are at peace. Living at peace is one of the distractions of the enemy. Living as though there's no spiritual war going on. Living as though you can just daydream and walk through life without intentionally living by faith, without purposing to live for the Lord. The enemy would tell us that we should rest on our one-time confession of Christ and then just live however you want. This is the lie from the pit of hell. This is the lie that has been received by much of the American church. This is the lie that has rendered the church ineffective. God has a plan to consummate all of human history in the person of Jesus Christ who is coming when you least expect it. Who is coming to judge the world. He has a perfect plan. But He's called you to be holy. When you hear this lie that God has a plan for your life and He just wants you to be happy. What is that but an excuse to sin? And it comes from the enemy. It comes from the spiritual forces that we cannot see. Live how you want. God is gracious and kind and He'll forgive you. Hasn't He forgiven you once? God has a perfect plan and He's called His servants to be holy. And when He comes, as we saw last week in chapter 24 of Matthew, He's making a distinction. When He comes, the Master will make a distinction. When He comes, He's going to make a distinction between the faithful and the neglectful. Between the steward and the carnal. He's going to make a distinction between the wheat and the tares. The complacent and the intentional. As we saw in that study, right? The one who thought the master was far off, was living at peace, was doing what he wanted, was living carnally, thought, I have time. One day I'll get my house in order. One day I'll put the master's house in order. But he comes suddenly. Complacency won't get us there. We must live intentionally. And here's the thing, in Christ Jesus you have all the power to do so. I want you to get that. I'm not beating you all up here. But I am saying that I hope that the Spirit would convict you of those places where you go, you know what, I have not lived intentionally. And that the Spirit of God would convince you to return to an intentional Christian life. Intentionally living for the Lord and for His house. Verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so you'll be able to risk Him in the evil day, 
having done everything to stand firm. Church, the faithful and sensible servant of Jesus Christ, you and I, since we are at war, we must understand that our war is spiritual. The spiritual battle is manifested toward us in the most ordinary and temporal ways, isn't it? Sometimes people we consider brothers are tools of the enemy. They're being used. They're not our enemy. I know one of the things I've counseled with my friend Jesse about, and it's been good counsel in my own marriage, is that when spouses kind of come against each other, we must tell us, tell ourselves this mantra, she is not my enemy. He is not my enemy. They are not my enemy. They are my closest neighbor, my closest friend, and I must lay down my life for them. They are not my enemy. They might be being used temporarily, but they are not my enemy. We're at war. This battle is manifest in ordinary, temporal ways. Spiritual war in the heavenly places has implications uh, in an earthly fashion. When we think about our study of Revelation that is coming up, we see lots of places where John, as he's speaking, says, and he's, he's not necessarily things are not necessarily all chronological. As we go through this, we will see this. But what is chronological is the visions he sees. And then I saw. And then I saw as it were. And he gives a spiritual description, but then there are heaven, there are earthly implications from the war that is being waged. When we look at Revelation chapter 6, again, the martyrs in heaven, they cry out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. I looked, and he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs and was shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders of the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? There's this spiritual war with, in the heavenly places with earthly implications. We need to know the real enemy. We need to know that it is not flesh and blood. We need to know that it is not our family and our neighbors and our friends. That the real enemy is, is, is a battle being waged in heaven. It is that roaring lion who is looking to see whom he might pick off whom he might devour, who he might separate from their faithfulness, who he might make them lose their senses, as it were. Those who come against us in life are tools. 
They are instruments of the enemy. Since our enemy is spiritual, we cannot use the weapons of human ingenuity to fight back, to stand battle, to protect ourselves. We must intentionally put on the gear appropriate for the spiritual battle. And notice here that Paul says we must be fully clothed with God's armor. Two places. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God. Verse 13, take up the full armor of God. It means put all of him on. Put all of the battle gear on. Imagine that you're a football player. The game is tied. The coach has called your number. He's called your number and you're about to run the ball. Everyone on your team, everyone on your team knows that the play is coming to you. The opposing team knows it too. They know that it is coming to you. Well, what piece of equipment would you leave out? Would you go into the game without a helmet? Perhaps you go in and say, I don't need any knee pads. Perhaps you're going to say, well, I don't need any thigh pads. I don't need shoulder pads. I don't need cleats. If you left one piece of equipment off, where do you think the opponent would attack? We attack the one piece of equipment that you decided you didn't need. That's where they will attack. With intention, a football player would make sure that all of their equipment was intact, that it was all in good working order, knowing the enemy. For us, knowing the enemy, we must put on all that God supplies, all of the armor that God supplies for us. We know this, that the enemy will attack, attack us in any place where we leave ourselves vulnerable. If we leave ourselves vulnerable to attack, that can mean what you watch on TV, what you browse on the internet. It, mean, it can mean what movies you go to, what music you listen to. You can open yourself up. You can leave yourself vulnerable to the enemy's attack. We need to put on the full armor of God. Put all of him on. If we are going to be a faithful and sensible servant at the Lord's return, uh, one who will not be left vulnerable to the attack of the enemy, we must put every bit of God's provision on for us. Who is able to stand? Who will resist the enemy's attempts to render you unfaithful? The one who will be made to stand is the one who intentionally puts on the full armor of God's weaponry. Our enemies strive to keep us from heaven. They assault the things of our souls. We must stand against the devil. To stand against the devil is to strive against the sin that so e easily entangles us. Against sin and the devil, we have no sufficiency in ourselves, you see. We must put on Christ. The armor of God in all that he supplies. God supplies all that we need to remain faithful, both offensively and defensively. We should notice as we move forward that there's no armor for the backside. As we see these little pieces of armor, there's nothing for the backside. Do you ever wonder why that is? We're meant to move forward. Confident in Christ. Confident in the power of the Spirit at work in us. We are to move forward knowing that we have all of the equipment. That God has fully equipped us. We are to be confident. There's no need to cover the backside. We've got it covered. God has it covered. God has it covered in us. 
We were meant to move forward in the king's service, taking charge of the master's house while we wait for his return. The faithful and sensible servant of King Jesus, who is the master who rules and reigns from the throne of heaven, will find those doing the master's bidding, those who are caring for the household of God, those who are feeding the members of the house that comes from the word of God. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Our first weapon in the arsenal of God's supply to us is the truth. It is that which undergirds all of the other weapons. We must know the doctrines of God's Word. We must be sound in our understanding if we are to found, be found faithful and sensible at the Master's return. Some people say doctrine is not important. Doctrine divides truth from error. A compromise in the truth leaves the believer vulnerable to the enemy's attack. A compromise on doctrine is the tool and the instrument the devil has used from the garden until now. Compromise on doctrine happened way back in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will not surely die. You doubt God's word. Doubt, doubt what he says. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having no righteousness of our own, Paul writes that we must protect our hearts from self-righteousness. With intentionality, we must put on the breastplate of Christ's righteousness imputed to us. We must remain sober in our thinking and our estimation of ourselves. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those, to those who know that within them they have no righteousness of their own. And that residual sin in their lives, they know that it, it comes up and they take comfort and strength in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, the weapon of God for the elect people for whom He died. The enemy will remind us. The enemy will remind us how far from perfect we are. And in those moments, we take on the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. As we sang earlier, our one defense, Lord, I need you. It is His righteousness. That is our one defense against the enemy's attack. Because when the enemy makes accusations about you, he's usually right. In a sense. Because he reminds you of what you already know. He reminds you of your failure. You know you failed. You know when you've fallen short of the glory of God. And he reminds you of that. Again and again, doesn't he? It's him who brings it up. He reminds you of that. But our defense is no, 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 devil. Christ died for me and he was perfect, sinless, and blameless. And because God has given me faith and repentance to believe, 
His righteousness has been imputed to me. Guard your heart with the righteousness that comes from Jesus. Verse 15, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In the Roman times, uh, sharp sticks were laid on the road and they were designed to kind of trip up marching armies. Militaries would place on the soles of their sandals brass spikes. It would keep one steady on their feet. They would dig into the ground. It would prevent them from uh, falling into holes. It would also be used to like move those uh, obstructions out of the road. Here Paul says, shod your sole of your feet, confident that peace with God has been given to you in the gospel. Peace in the gospel allows the servant of God to walk steadily. Peace with God allows us to walk steadily. Straightforward. It gives us resolve in the heart to follow the one who made peace for us. So he's saying, shod your feet with the gospel of peace, knowing that the answer is Christ's atoning death for you. Shod your feet with the gospel of peace. The enemy will attempt to derail the Christian, reminding them of their failures, causing them to doubt that Christ really has made peace for us. That He became sin for us. That He rose again to give us eternal life. See, a lot of people, and one of the problems in this whole peace idea is that the gospel has been presented in such a way as that it's merely a get-out-of-jail-free card. That it's a one-and-done kind of thought. I heard the gospel preached, I walked up and they said, I'm one of them. And then, done. The gospel is a way of life. The gospel is a way of life for the faithful and sensible servant. The gospel is a reminder. It reminds us who we are. It reminds us whose we are. It reminds us of our frail, wretched human condition. It reminds us of the atoning death of the one who loved us and set us free. It reminds us of the power that we live in by the Holy Spirit that a step-by-step life of obedience can now be had, a step-by-step life of repentance and faith. The gospel is a way of life. It's not an event. Salvation is not an event. And sometimes... Even though, you know, the, the, the church in McMinnville is doing this gospel tent meeting, I hope that it doesn't become just an event. I hope and pray that it's not an event or an event only. We bring people in, preach the gospel to them, give them a command to walk forward and then say, that's it. You've done your thing. That's the gospel. The gospel is a life lived. It's a life lived. It brings us to the next armor of God that a sensible servant will intentionally take up. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. See, faith is our shield when we are tempted. When we are tempted to sin and when we are tempted to despair. Faith is what we must put on I think when thinking of the shield of faith, the lyrics to the song, Behold the Throne of God, came to my heart. 
When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Christ's righteousness protects our hearts, but his faith that we take up as a shield that moves in all directions, blocking the enemy. See, when you have a shield, right, you can move it up, you can move it down, you can move it, you can turn around. In all directions, it is faith that blocks the enemy. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The faithful and sensible servant is intentional in their thinking. Their purpose is to set their mind on things above. The helmet of salvation reminds us of the surety of our hope. To remember what Paul wrote uh, to the church in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Look at verse 3 again of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's the helmet of salvation. That is the thinking, right? He, that's my hope. My hope is sure. The one who gave me faith is holding my faith. The one who gave me salvation is holding salvation. My hope is sure. It is heavenly. That is, protects our thinking. We, we remember that though we are poor in spirit, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, the word says. We do not hope in what the world offers, but our hope is in salvation and the blessing that is in Christ, that which he has secured for us, that which he is holding onto for us. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Again, like I said before, we will not accidentally meditate on the word of God, will we? The faithful and sensible servant is intentional in hiding the word of God in their heart. See, when you hide the word of God in your heart, what happens when the enemy attacks? By matter of practice, it comes out. It is a sword of defense. It is a sword of offense. But it must be intentionally placed in your heart. The Word of God is called the sword of the Spirit because it is effective. It is effective in all that God purposes to do with it. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It is the Word of God hidden in the faithful and sensible servant's heart that will prevent them from sin. Prevent them from slumber at the hour of the Lord's return. And then we're going to see what holds it all together. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Prayer is that which holds the weapons of our warfare together. Prayer must be an instant line of defense for the faithful and sensible servant. Times of prayer must also be intentionally scheduled as well. One of the tools of the enemy is to detract the faithful and sensible servant with much, much busyness. Certainly there's work that we must do. There are worthwhile family activities for us to engage in. 
But the busyness of life should not drown out or crowd out the need for an intentional audience with our God. We should note Paul advocates all kinds of prayer for the sensible servant. Prayer must not only be for us, but it must be for one another. Supplications for those who are in authority and so on. Just like times of devotion in the Word of God, I don't believe that prayer happens without intentionality. In fact, I know from my own life it does not. It never happens by accident. It happens with intentionality. Then he says, And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So finally, we must think about this. In these last days, we must pray for one another, those who have been set apart. We must pray for those who have been set apart for the public proclamation of the gospel. We must pray for those uh, pastors, that, that pastors, myself included, will not cow down to expediency. That we must pray that our pastors will hold on to the truth. That pastors will be empowered to speak it boldly, no matter the cost. Who will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and be found faithful? Who will be able to stand against the schemes of the of the faithful and be found uh, uh, of the devil and be found a faithful and sensible servant when the master returns in an hour we do not know in one sentence it is the one who intentionally puts on the armor of god one who intentionally puts on all that god has supplied for us